This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome. I'm David Spears and I'm joined this week by Raf Epstein and Lisa Miller, who are both with me on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation in a lovely little studio at the ABC's Southbank building in Melbourne, where we're just two days out from the Victorian election. I'm very excited. Every election is a chance to find out who people think we are and where we are heading. So every election's about much more than power. It's about all of us. What about you, Lisa? I am much more excited now than I was even a matter of weeks ago because I thought the result was pretty much a given. But what we're seeing are the polls tightening and suddenly it feels like a real race. I'm also interested because I've heard so much about Victorian elections over the years, but this will be the first one that I've actually considered myself a Victorian, and that I'll be voting. You were here through the pandemic, as we all were, so you are a Victorian, no doubt about that. Look, it was said a lot during particularly the early stage of the campaign, there was huge levels of disengagement. Voters were just over politics this year. They weren't paying any attention to this. I wonder if that is shifting in the last week or two of the campaign. Look, truth be told, a lot of people have already voted by now. Are they doing it because they're sick of it or they're doing it because they'd made their decision? I just think this is a trend. It's it's easier to do now, right? It's convenient. We work from home. We like flexible hours when it comes to whatever we do. So You miss out on the democracy sausage on the day, though. I, I'm not voting till Saturday. I'm Ooh, a traditionalist. I'm a traditional. But to be honest, I haven't voted on a Saturday for a long time because I've usually got another commitment for work. But I can go this Saturday. So I just want to go to the local primary school. I like the atmosphere oh, yeah. of polling yeah. places. No, I do love it. I do love it. Look, if you're listening interstate and thinking, oh, I don't want to listen to Victorian election stuff. We're going to try to convince you why this matters, why this is worth paying attention to, what it's going to tell us about some of the political trends in Australia at the moment flowing on from the May federal election, you know, trends like the Teals, the Greens, other independents in outer suburbs, and whether the, the two-party stranglehold on Australian politics is starting or continuing to crumble and erode after what we saw in, in the May election. First up, though, Raf, what is this election about? The election is 100% about the leaders. It's not about policy. And the election is very much the future of Australian politics. They've both been around the block. Dan Andrews is trying to do something really difficult. That is to win three elections in a row in a fixed term parliament. I don't think any leader in Australia has won three elections in a row in a fixed term. He's also, if if not the longest serving national leader or you know state leader we've got, he must be one of. Well, so he he's is. one of the most. He, he is, is the, the most. Longest, he is yeah. the. He became premier when Tony Abbott was Prime Minister, when Donald Trump was still a reality TV star, weighing up, well, hadn't even decided to run for office. So he's been there eight years. It's a long time in modern politics, right? I think it's a long time. So when I say it's about the leaders, they've also, Matt Guy's been around the block before. So the coalition leader was there last time. He's delivered them the problem they've got, the huge number of seats that they are facing. And I mean it when I I think it is about the future of Australian politics. If I can just frame all the different fights we've got around the state, You've got the coalition versus independents in the country that aren't Climate 200 independents. You've got coalition versus Labor in the outer suburbs. You've got Labor versus right-leaning independents in the outer suburbs. You've got Labor versus Greens in the inner suburbs. And you've got the Liberals versus the Teal independents in the inner suburbs. So that incredible fracturing that makes Anthony Green 
lose all his hair <laughs> on election night. Like it's hyped up now. Well, it's that old saying, it's not one election, it's in this uh, contest, 88 individual elections in every lower house seat. Can I jump in there? Because one of the, the areas that you just mentioned then, Raf, that I'm super keen on watching is what happens with the Greens and the fact that as a former Queenslander, now Victorian, watching this roll out. The fact that Max Chandler Mather, who won the seat of Griffith in Brisbane, has been down here giving training camps to uh, Green candidates here because they're pretty confident about repeating what we saw in Queensland in the federal election. So, and, and I saw that seat of McNamara, and I don't want to go too much into the weeds with different seats, but for the federal seat here in Victoria that nearly went to the Greens, and it'll be really interesting to see how that plays out in state elections. Can I say one thing about the Greens and their successes? Firstly, it drives Labor nuts, so it's significant. But the other reason it drives Labor nuts is they're like, hang on, knocking on doors, that's our thing. We did that first. And and they do have a significant door-knocking operation. And I think the thing that is significant about Victoria is that the Labor Party, especially Dan Andrews' government, has been really good at getting the union members and the party volunteers out to door knock for them. So it is a significant contest of door knocking and to really get into the weeds, one of the seats that the Liberals need to really hang on to, the seat of Q. I actually had the Labor Party tell me they've knocked on more doors in that seat than both the Liberal campaign and the really significant Teal Independent. Now, again, I don't know if that's true, but drives them nuts when they hear people talking about, oh, the Greens are good at knocking on doors. We'll come back to the Greens and the Teals and and so on. But just sticking with the big picture, Raf, you mentioned this is about the leaders. And let's face it, it's a, a lot of this is a referendum on Dan Andrews because he's been there eight years. He brings, that brings experience, brings baggage as well. And it's particularly a heavy load because of the last couple of years, the pandemic. Lisa, Dan Andrews was so so powerful and prominent in our lives every day, making these big decisions, a lot of love, a lot of hate. Uh, He's such a polarising figure for the way that he performed through all of that. How much is that still an issue on the ballot paper? Uh, Are people making a judgement on Dan Andrews' management of COVID or or, or do you sense that Victorians have moved on, want to move on, are really looking now to the future? I'm not sure whether it's the judge, uh, the judgment on his handling of COVID so much, and Raf can probably add a bit more here, but it's certainly about the leaders. And I do think when you look at the polling, with all the caveats we put in about polling, the fact that both the leaders have lower kind of approval ratings than either of their parties, so their parties are more popular than either of them, yes, both of them quite divisive. Dan Andrews, clearly over the last couple of years, we saw so much of him in those daily press conferences. What surprised me is how little COVID has ended up in this election campaign. What's your explanation for that, Raf? So the data tells you, and even the Sky debate tells you, COVID's not an issue, right? It was one question, I think, on COVID at the only uh, forum we had. Uh, if you speak to the Redbridge people, you know, cost of living is number one. Okay. So there's no data to suggest the pandemic's an issue. I've done, though, for the state election what I did for the federal election. I've probably approached now more than probably 250 people at different electorates. I tell you what, if there is one thing people in Victoria have a feeling about, are passionate about, are educated about, it's the pandemic. And it's either what Labor did or what the Liberal Party did. And there is no doubt in my mind that is the thing that people know the most about and feel most passionately about. I this Again, so this is not supported by any data other than my own conversations. People are making up their minds. 
based on the pandemic. That's not necessarily bad for Dan Andrews. Well, I think it makes sense, right? Because, I mean, in politics generally, once you've once a voter has formed a view of someone, that can be really hard to shift that view, for better or worse. And clearly views were forged, set in cement <laughs> during the pandemic of Dan Andrews and, and the Liberals. And I think both sides have really lent into that reality. I mean, the Labor have, have made Dan Andrews pretty central to their campaign. Not all of them are happy with that. They'd like more of a team focus, but they've made Dan Andrews, you know, the you see him everywhere. The Liberals too have made Dan Andrews central to their campaign in a lot of seats as well. And what's that not so subtle message they use? Don't let him get away with it. Is is the slogan that the, the Liberals are using? Mm. But but if we're looking at if you're getting down to the nuts and bolts and go okay, but you know what are the seats that are going to decide this? Uh, and you're looking at those outer suburban seats and down to the south and you're looking at the issues that keep coming up all the time, which is infrastructure, yep. lack of hospitals, yep. courthouses, schools, oh, they're big issues. buses. I don't, I don't doubt the Surely big issues. that is what is going to drive voters in those electorates. So if you ask someone what's at the top of their mind, and I've done that, right, Pakenham, mm. Liberals likely to win it, Labor's notionally ahead in a seat like that, it's a growth suburb. Transport's hopeless. Even moving around on the day, the couple of days I've been there, it's really difficult. Sure, potholes, yep. But what if you push people? If you really push people, okay, so you don't like so-and-so or you don't like so-and-so and you're going to put, you know, the Freedom Party or the Greens. But when it gets down to it, you look them in the eye and say, okay, but who are you going to put first on your ballot paper, Labor or Liberal? And, again, this is just my experience. It's based on the pandemic. Did the Liberal Party undermine the public health orders? Did they undermine our collective solidarity? Or did Dan Andrews just make my life hell? Mm. And I think those issues, again, my experience, I think that's actually going to determine where the preferences go. One thing we know just quickly this election's not about is federal issues or the popularity of the federal leaders, either Anthony Albanese or Peter Dutton. We got a question, in fact, from John, and John says, why hasn't Matthew Guy had Peter Dutton with him at all on the campaign? Because Peter Dutton's a Queenslander, for starters, and not necessarily and popular in in Victoria. It's the Massachusetts of Australia. Yeah, exactly. It needs to be said Anthony Albanese appeared once with Dan Andrews, but no journos were invited. Yeah, but the Prime Minister's office points out that it has been a very busy time, that he's been overseas, Parliament's been sitting, but also was he needed? Was, you know, what would he have done to, what would he have achieved? Would he have won one more vote for Dan Andrews here? And they didn't want Anthony Albanese answering questions about uh, corruption yeah. uh, inquiries around Dan Andrews. I don't, but I do think the one thing that is significant federally, the Liberal brand is tarnished in Victoria. There's no doubt about that. You can see that the Liberals, especially in the inner city and even in the outer suburbs, there's no big Liberal, you know, they're blue. What will be interesting to see is whether it's recovered at all since May with Scott Morrison no longer you know, in the picture. Does it recover at all or is it still on a, on a trajectory? I think the Labor Party is banking on, okay, you might not like our leader so much, you might be a bit angry at him, but you trust the Labor brand. And I'm not sure that the Liberal Party are leaning into their brand in the same way. Whether or not that's successful, I don't know. But I So I do think the residue... What do you make of those parties from the federal election? I think that's that's the way it may bleed into state issues. But I do think it's about the people and about the, the state perspective on those parties. Let's talk a little bit about policy. You mentioned, Raf, cost of living is number one, and that, that's not just in the Redbridge polling. It's in every poll you look at. Cost of living, number one, daylight, second. It was it was an issue at the federal election in May, but it's a bigger issue now. Inflation's shot up a lot more since then. It's interesting because the, the, the federal government, we saw in last month's budget, they're being very careful not to splash cash to help people with cost of living because that'll only make in, inflation worse. 
In this state campaign, though, there is a fair bit of cash being splashed around. What are, give us the list here. Uh, you get a $250 power saver bonus if you vote for Labor and you get something equivalent from the Liberal Party. Uh, you don't have to pay the supply. So cash. cheaper you power. Get cheaper mm-hmm. power. The Liberal Party's offering $2 public transport fares, cheaper train tickets. The Labor's offering cheaper you know, country to city train fares. There is a stonkingly large number. I actually can't keep count of the dozens of hospitals and schools that are supposedly going to pop up across Victoria no matter who wins. We'll get to that because that's perhaps not inflationary. It's not inflationary, David. It is using the government's balance sheet to help you with your balance sheet. Well, that's infrastructure, health. The public transport fares, that's their line, right? Matthew, guys, Matthew, I'm not spending money. What I'm doing is I'm making sure the power companies can't charge you that money. So I'm not being inflationary. I'm and then the interesting one is free tampons from Labor as well, spread across the state in different locations. How many locations is it? There's 700 locations, 1,500 machines. It, this is a really important thing to look at. Two weeks to go in the campaign, Matthew Guy announces on a Saturday a stonkingly large amount of money, $2.5 billion, to redevelop one of our biggest hospitals, the Alfred Hospital. Remember that number, $2.5 billion. Mm-hmm. Same day, Dan Andrews announces a policy. And look, it's an eminently sensible, like sure. it's a great idea. Who's going to argue against it? Free tampons and sanitary pads in 700 locations around the state. The cost, though, is minimal. I think it's about $15 million, right? But so popular. And it's just, if you want to show you're listening to half of the, the population... Mm-hmm do something that should have been done a long time ago. So it's it's very smart politics. All good policy that can help you politically is a great thing to do and it costs him nothing. And, David, I know you're trying to differentiate between what spending might be inflationary and other spending, but at the end of the day what you're seeing is a big spending campaign for a state that has a huge debt and no one is talking in this election campaign about trying to fix the budget. Oh, they're or, both saying they're doing better than the other side. You know, but... No, no, wow, no, Lisa, like, look at my four-year budget. My, my four-year budget is, is much better than the other side's and I am getting to a surplus sooner and I am consolidating the debt far more quickly. No, no, Lisa, I am 100% addressing your problem while I'm not addressing <laughs> it at all. And the forecast of it is that the debt to share of economy is double New South Wales and only going to keep increasing. Yep. Well, the Liberals have a pretty effective line, I think, that debt in Victoria is, is it already bigger than New uh, South In a couple of years' time, it's going to be bigger mm. than New South Wales, Queensland, Tasmania. Mm. Right. So that, that sounds, oh my gosh. But aren't the Liberals also spending more in this election than Labor? Look, uh, maybe there's one way to... So no one's across the detail, right? And I mean that in the most generous of ways. We're meant to be finding out today, aren't we? From oh, the... yeah. So the costings come out in the day we're recording this. One good way to think about this, we've got a parliamentary budget office in Victoria, uh, just what we do federally. Dan Andrews says the parliamentary budget office has no idea what he's talking about when it's costing his policy of the suburban rail loop, but should 100% be relied upon when the Parliamentary Budget Office says the Coalition is spending a lot more than Labor. Conversely, the Coalition says, look what the Parliamentary Budget Office says about the rail loop. It's proving that it's $200 billion. Oh, no, they've got it totally wrong on our policies. Look, as soon as you're having that conversation, you know that the parties know no one's following the I'm glad the Parliamentary Budget Office has sorted out this um, age-old campaign I'm saying that I'm hearing Lisa's concern. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. But it didn't feature, the same way it didn't feature federally. Yeah. Right. Just before we leave policy, Claire asks, what's the plan re-logging state forests in Victoria? Uh, now weather patterns are increasingly unstable, does the Victorian government believe continuing to denude the landscape is acceptable? This is such a good issue because it really hits home with a lot of people and it's kind of the difference between the Labor and Greens, Raf. Crucial. There's probably three seats on a bad day for Labor. 
The Greens have already got three crossbench seats on a bad day for Labor. They pick up another three. This would be the issue that gets them across the line. Labor says it's going to be phased out. Don't worry about it. I get the sense, to be honest, that the federal Labor Party is not thrilled with their state Labor colleagues. I interviewed Tanya Plibersek and I said, oh, hang on, that possum that you just listed as endangered, that's the possum living in the forest that the Victorian government is logging. It's not an easy thing for federal Labor to defend. If you're in out of suburb... If you're in regional Victoria, you don't care. If you're tossing up between Labor and the Greens in the inner city, huge issue. And we've heard a lot from those uh, regional towns, from the union leaders, from the workers, <clears throat> and their voices have been very loud on this issue mm. about wanting to protect their livelihood, which is logging of the native forests. Now, I want to just take us to the Greens and kind of discuss this earlier. So they had a good federal election, I think their best ever, uh, with those three seats they picked up in Brisbane from Labor and Liberal. This time, they're looking to pick up three in Melbourne at the state election. That would double their numbers to six in the parliament, might even be in a position of... And then what are they going to demand? If it's Because they will have their list of things that they want, which is end native forest and capping rent increases and banning offshore gas exploration. They've got their list ready to go with this confidence that perhaps they can hold the power in a minority government. Well, but Raff is screwing up his I, face, listeners. First, first thing to point out, the Greens have given up all bargaining power. They have said we're not going to side with the Liberals. Yeah. So if, if we end up in a place where Liberal and Labor have got the same number of seats and the Greens are kingmakers, there is no way. The Greens aren't going to team no. up with the Liberal Party. They're yeah. just not going to. But team up, team up. So what does team up mean? It means guarantee confidence and supply, but they can right? But they can cause problems if Dan Andrews does not give them some room. I'm not convinced. Well, it, I, I don't think any state or federal Labor minority government is going to go back to the famous, the infamous Julie Gillard-Bob Brown signing ceremony where you sign a document that says, you know, we're now partners in um, in government. What are the Greens going to do? What are they going to do? So the girl say, in Native Forest now. And Dan will say, no. Yeah. And he said, he said over and over that he's never going to do a deal with a mana yeah. party and, you know. so Matt, And Matt Guy will come to them and say, come and vote with us. And, and they'll say, no, change all your policies. Yeah. I mean, they, they've given up their negotiating position. I'm not saying that's a reason to vote Green or not to vote Green. I just think... Well, I don't think it gives it up altogether. I mean, you can, you can offer a, a guarantee of support on supply and confidence. Yes. The government still has a legislative agenda yes. for the next four years that it will need the Greens on yeah. I mean, in that situation. Maybe. So it's still got leverage. Anyway, so the Greens, what do you think is behind their expected improvement in this election? Is it just the general trend around these parts of Melbourne? Yeah. That, no, I think it's a general trend around Australia of people just stepping away from the major parties, feeling unenthused by what's on offer. And that's why I'll be fascinated to see how it rolls mm. out on Saturday. Um, because I think we can read a lot into it. The other state leaders will be looking at this election to see whether the trends are now bedded in or whether the federal election was just a Morrison reaction. Well, let's talk about the Teals firstly. Melbourne's a little bit different to Sydney. Sydney at the federal election, well, you've now got with Zali Stegall there, who was already there, four Teals, Melbourne two. So it's it's not quite the same dynamic as Sydney. Plus, you don't have the Morrison government, which was a great asset for those Teal candidates in May. You've got the Dan Andrews Labor government here. So, Raf, what can we expect from the Teals? Uh, I wouldn't expect a Teal wave, although who knows? Some of them are quite confident. 
The biggest difference maybe if you're listening federally is they don't have nearly as much money. There's a significant donations cap. That makes a really big difference. They can't raise the hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. Just quickly, the cap is you can individuals can only donate four grand yeah. each each over over the four years. So you wouldn't get the So Climate Two Hundred as a group, because they are not a party, they can give four thousand two hundred to each candidate, but that is it. And that is a significant, significant difference because they gave a couple of hundred grand to people like Monique Ryan and Zoe Daniel, and that means the the snowball that rolls rolls down the hill is a hell of a lot bigger. I think there's a candidate quality difference as well. I think they are of significant quality in a seat like Q and in Mornington. That's what yeah. people in the teal movement say to me. I'm not so sure. that's Sophie Tawney. Yeah, and that's yes. where uh, Josh. Yes. Q is yes. in the seat uh, of Q Young. We should explain Josh Frydenberg's old seat now mm. held by the teal independent Mennie Yeah, Hawthorne is also entirely contained within the seat of Q Young. It's the most left leaning part of that electorate. I don't think that particular independent candidate, and I mean her no ill will, I don't think she makes as good an impression on uh, the voters of Kuyong as the Q Teal does. But then there are other surprises. I mean, there are the seats that are further down the peninsula, like Mornington, people speak a lot about that. Teal may be uh, challenging the Liberal Party there. But uh, I think I like a lot of this stuff. The preference flows are really difficult to work out because they're going everywhere. Uh, just while we talk about Hawthorne, because one of the moments in the last Victorian election that a lot of people around the nation actually would have remembered because it was so fascinating was to watch the Liberal member, John Pesuto, be told that he had lost his seat live on air. John Pesuto, commiserations to you. It's looking mm. like at this point. What are your thoughts on your future at the moment? Is it too early to ask? Well, the first thing that I would want to say is, uh, irrespective of the final result when it comes in, the first thing you should always do is thank the people who elected you in the first place. So whatever happens, and it's not looking great, but my first thought is to thank the people of Hawthorne who elected me in 2014. He handled it with extraordinary grace and that is being seen as a plus for him because he's standing again to try and win the seat back. That's in Hawthorne where he's up against one of the Teal independents. Yeah, and he's fighting very hard. That'll be a really interesting seat to watch on Saturday night. So that's the Teal dynamic, the Green dynamic, but you mentioned earlier to both of you the other pressure point Labor's facing. You've got the Greens, you've got the Liberals, but then you've got these independents. Let's go to the western fringe of Melbourne and, and southwest and fringe of Melbourne, seats like Melton, Point Cook, Werribee. You've got independents who are hyper-focused on the local issues, their health in particular, the lack of health, uh, adequate health services, the, the long commute uh, and the terrible road infrastructure that a lot of these suburbs face, cost of living as well. Tell us about the dynamic in those parts of outer Melbourne. A bit closer to the city in the seat of Point Cook. Uh, which is, it's sort of, you know, it's actually an established suburb now. It's probably sort of 40 years old or so. You've actually got a doctor running on health issues and he ran last time uh, in another seat redistribution. So that's a significant challenge. And again, I, I, and I understand the cost of living stuff, but I think in a place like Point Cook and a place like Melton, it's the services. It's the fact that the roads are clogged. You can't get onto the freeway. You can't get an electric train in Melton. They are still on the diesel regional trains, the V-line services. I do, I mean, even though I said the pandemic's a big issue, when you're considering, right, I'm going to give them a kick, but I'm going to give them a kick by voting for this guy, this independent, I think that when you haven't got your train and you've got potholes in your rows, you go, right, I'm going to give them a kick by voting for that guy. And I want to circle back to what Raf said at the very beginning of this podcast, which is what Dan Andrews is trying to do is win a third term 
after eight years in. And so this is the challenge because, well, if they haven't fixed it in 100%. the last two terms, why vote for them again? What's going to change in this third term? And that's where those independents are going to have the strengths when it comes to the infrastructure so, disappointments. So, so that's what's interesting, right? If you've been waiting for a bus, and like, by the way, the seats we're talking about, I've gone and looked at those bus timetables. There's a bus every half hour. The reason there's a bus every half hour is there's only a train every half hour right? Mm -hmm. And we are talking about some of the fastest growing parts of the city. So if you've been waiting for that, and they've got some of the most crowded schools, you've been waiting for eight years, they haven't fixed it yet, that's huge weight in the saddlebags. Add in the pandemic, that's even more weight. What's really interesting is you would think that counts against him a lot. The published polls, and we will get a final poll, I'm told, in the Australian newspaper on the Saturday, but the published polls, let's be honest, if you said to Dan Andrews, we're going to shut the election today on the published polls and give you that result, he'd be pretty happy. Something like 5347, uh, uh, he'd be pretty happy with. So that's interesting that with that much weight in the saddlebags, the published polls with their difficult preference flows still point towards, on a decent day, a Labor majority. Yeah, I had a look at the federal election results in those parts of Melbourne that we were just talking about around Melton and Werribee and so on, and you can see the Labor. These are, these are traditional heartland seats for Labor, but that, that primary vote for Labor has been crumbling federally. A lot of voters went to um, One Nation and Palmer and flowed back uh, ultimately after preferences to keep Labor in, in those seats. But you can see bigger picture here for Labor. They do have a bit of an issue here in, in some of those outer suburbs. Oh, and the preference spray is really difficult. I, you speak, I, I went to some of those federal seats that are replicated now by these state seats and you, you would find the tradie at 10.30, you know, in the shopping centre that has literally just been built. You know, you look at Google Maps and it's a field but when you go there to speak to people, it's just been built furious at the government. The problem for the Liberal Party is they vote One Nation or they vote Freedom Party, but not every preference then goes back to the Liberals. And it's it might be enough to keep Labor there. So, yes, the anger's real. And when I talk about that preference spraying, you just never know. It just makes it much harder to predict. You might be angry, but the Victorian upper house ballot paper, just looking at that alone, like it is... Huge. So I'm going to need all of Saturday yeah. to stand 100%. there and vote, Matt. And it's confusing. So, And there are parties that have – there's more than one party with the word Labor in it. There's more than one party with the word Liberal in it. So it's that's why potentially for the coalition it's, it's a not entirely encompassing strategy to rely on anger against the government. You've got to be searching out the alternative and saying, yes, this guy, Matt guy, excites me as well. And that's – I think that's the danger. You can't – maybe they can rely on the anger but maybe they can't. So leading up to this week, I went back to have a bit of a look at what the senior Liberal strategist Tony Nutt wrote after the last loss for the Liberals. He did an internal review for the party. He said it needed to connect better with swinging voters. Clearly, they focused on crime last time, didn't work for them at all. They've changed that this time. But they were derailed by the poor vetting of candidates. And it had to be more rigorous this time. Someone didn't go back and have a look at the internal review. Clearly, the Liberals at the federal level, and, and once again here in Victoria, 
do need to pick up the ball, fix these problems with pre-selection. You had the Catherine Deves problem in the federal election. Scott Morrison handpicked it, but then stuck with it at the bitter end and it caused all sorts of damage and coverage that, you know, you talk to any of those moderate liberals that lost their seats, um, they weren't happy at all. This time around with Renee Heath, who's the liberal candidate who's been linked to an ultra-right church. Interesting, Matt Guy was very quick to basically cut her adrift and say, you know, if she wins, she's not going to sit in the Liberal Party room. But it should be fixed up well before then. Oh, her background was well known. It was no secret. So how on earth are these candidates getting through what is supposed to be a rigorous vetting process? I think what's interesting about the candidate controversy is when it happened. Dan Andrews had a horror week at the beginning of the campaign with lots of stories about anti-corruption investigations. I think what's unfortunate for Matt Guy is that in the sort of eighth, seventh, sixth and fifth last days of the campaign, so that's sort of the, uh, the four days spread over the final weekend before polling day, he was having to bat off suggestions that the Liberal Party is basically in bed with Nazis. That was a word the government refused to not stop using. But but it's there, right? So you're getting a TV story, Liberal Party, Nazi. Oh, no, we're just in bed with conspiracy theorists. Now, I'm not saying that's a fair criticism, but that's what's going out the final weekend before the campaign. Yeah, I, I often find the word Nazi... Oh, it's, I, I, it's reprehensible, but that's the Is the Liberal the Party being infiltrated by the religious right is, is a more legitimate question. You but, just don't want to have the words religious right, conspiracy theory, Liberal Party, and they had those. I mean, the, the Labor government, maybe they over the Nazi thing. I don't know. They're like separate issue. But he had those issues at precisely the wrong time in the cycle. That's once everyone had started voting. That is once, I think, more than one in seven people had voted before that news struck. So that perception that maybe the Liberals aren't safe, and in fact, Matt Guy on the Monday deliberately inserted a line into his speech. So this is the Monday before Election Day. We are safe. Now, you only say we are safe if you're getting a bit of feedback mm. that they're a bit nervous well, that they're not I safe. I mean, look, if you're having to defend the quality of candidates, then something's gone wrong and, you know, that is wasted time for any leader in a campaign. They don't have the resources of the Labor Party. They're a much smaller party. Uh, they spend a lot of resources on the federal campaign. You can only do so much. I'm not, I'm not yeah, disagreeing no, with you, Lisa. but it goes but to the problems that the totally state does. Liberal Party has here totally in Victoria. Does. Very, very limited resources yeah. and limited numbers of people. Mm. Lessons for uh, all the parties from this election and plenty for us to, well, take out of whatever happens on Saturday night in terms of these bigger political trends. It's been fascinating talking to both of you. I know you're very busy. We've only got a couple of days left in this camp. Clearly we love our politics. We're jumping in all over you. You barely got a word I in, David. Know, Here's to democracy. Hurrah! Well, enjoy those democracy sausages. Uh, Raf, Lisa, thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, thanks. so much. And thanks to our producers, Matt Bevan, Sam Dunn and Robin Powell. Please send us your questions for next week. You can do that via the ABC Listen app or you can send an email to backtoyoupodcast at abc.net.au and we'll be back in your feed next Friday. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.